while we were there, knocked off a bucket list of going to Hawaii, one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. I woke up two hours like earlier than anybody else because it's a six-hour time difference, and I was like a little kid in a candy store, just excited to see what the beauty, the beaches, just everything. And before I go, I always look at TripAdvisor. I talk to you guys like, hey, what are some of the places I have to visit? And one of the places they said, do not miss, is Pearl Harbor. If you're familiar with the attacks on Pearl Harbor, I've seen the movies, I've read the stories, but until you're actually there looking at the body of water where ships were, where something actually happened, it didn't quite make sense, you know, um, until you're there and you feel it. You think about the lives that are, are lost, and we, we took a little boat ride out to over the Arizona, which was sunk, and, and just to know that there are still dead bodies on that ship, and, and, and just to go through all of this and and to think about this. And, and then you go through the museum and you get to see some facts that maybe you didn't know. I, definitely I didn't know. But some facts about uh, what happened there and how Japan came, came and tried to destroy uh, our American naval fleet and kind of knock us out of the war so that we wouldn't be able to get into the war. And uh, they wanted to conquer the world. And so what I find interesting about this is that I'm reading through, I see a uh, one of the most interesting ships about Pearl Harbor was USS West Virginia. And I'm reading about this ship, and it was sunk at Pearl Harbor. It was in shallow area, it was sunk, but uh, they were able to go underwater and kind of repair it and then bring it back up to the water and fix it. And over a two-year period, they were able to fix this boat. And so even though it was sunk on Pearl Harbor Day, it was there. It was also one of two boats that was there for Pearl Harbor, and then it was also there for the instrument of whatever the signing to say we lost the war for Japan in Tokyo Bay. It was one of two ships. The first one was USS Detroit, which I'm from Detroit, love it. But the other one is the West Virginia, the USS West Virginia, a battleship, not a cruiser like Detroit, but a battleship. And I think about it, it was there on the beginning of the war for the Americans, and it was there for the end of the war as we know it. And I, I look at this boat and I think about how interesting and so many things we can take from this. Uh, I could do a sermon on how maybe our best days are ahead of us. or um, uh, You can get beat down, but don't you get back up once again. But the way I want to look at it is don't let your past define your future. Don't let your past define your future. This boat was sunk on one of the most tragic days our nation has ever felt. But over a two-year period and much help and, and much guidance, it was there to be a part of one of the most significant days of the ending of a war. And I think about when we look at the character of Gideon today, we look at him and we find him in a very scared, nervous state. We, see, we know he's going to do some great things, those that grew up in Sunday school and know the story. We see he does some great things, but the beginning of his life really doesn't define the middle part of his life. So in the book of Judges, it's an interesting time where God works through the nation of Israel. And this is after Abraham and Isaac and Moses, but it's still before like King David and Solomon. And there's this period of Judges, 430 years. And over that time period, there's 12 different judges that serve, six major, six minor, and not much difference in, in the major or minor, just the minor we don't hear much about, so we focus on the majors because that's the one that we actually have stuff to preach about on. And we see just like maybe your life and my life, the nation of Israel would do good. 
Things were going great. They're serving the Lord. And all of a sudden, they get tired of serving the Lord, and they start to do things and take things into their own hands. And they get involved in sin. And because God doesn't allow us to stay in sin, he would send another nation to send them into captivity to get their attention. And it says, for this time, seven years, they were in captivity. For seven years, the Midianites would come after them. And after seven years, they finally cried out to the Lord once again. I have no idea why it takes Israel so long to cry out to the Lord. The first day I would be in captivity, I'd be crying out to the Lord. I'd be calling you guys, come on, we, we can't do this. We, we need help from God. At least I hope that's where I would be. But we call this the sin cycle. They sin, they repent, God sends a deliverer, and they're back in a right relationship. Verse number one in Judges chapter six, we're going to be skipping a lot around a, a bunch of different verses. I did not want to read 60 verses today, and so I'm just going to be reading bits and pieces of some verses. But here we go. Verse number one, chapter six. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord handed them over to the Midian, to Midian for seven years. Midian was mean and nasty and terrible people. It says that Israel would, would plant some crops and the Midians would come in and just wipe out the crops just so they had nothing to eat. It says that the Midianites would come and take their, their cattle from them and just put them in a spot where it's very, very difficult. And sometimes I wonder, maybe it's because we have a loving God that he allows these things into our life. What if God loved us so much, but he let us just stay in our sinful state? He let us stay where we are. He, he said, Israel, I love you. You're not serving me, but I'm going to let you stay exactly where you're at. And you don't have to obey me. You can do what you want. Chances are the nation of Israel would have stayed in that sin cycle for a long, long time. They, they wouldn't have come back to the Lord. But it's these moments in our lives where life gets difficult, whether it's, it's self-induced or whether it's just part of the world, it's these moments in our life where difficulty comes where we're most, most open to the, to the voice of God. As I look at my times in my life where God has spoken to me the most, most spiritual development has happened is not when everything was going good in my life. It's when I cried out to him like, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I need you to step in and do something. And I think it's those moments in my life where, where God does step in has not been the mountaintop experiences. But the mountaintop experiences are great. They make for great pictures. Uh, they make for great memories. But I would say you're probably a lot like me, where you've grown in the depths of your relationship with God, have not been on the mountaintop experiences. They've been in these valleys. And God loves us too much to let us stay away from him. And so we see that God brings up the Midianites, they, they come out to him, and uh, God raises up an unlikely person, an unlikely leader. He's so unlikely, he didn't even sign up for it. I, I think about the leaders that we've looked at so far, Ehud, remember the left-handed guy that stabbed Eglon, the big fat guy, and then kind of ran off? Like Ehud signed up for this, he was ready to go, like he, he wanted to make a difference, Deborah, the judge, like she was there. I want to I make a difference. I want to lead people into battle. And yeah, I'll go with you because you're too scared. And I'll make this happen. Gideon, not so much. He wasn't who we would call to lead our army. And let's take a little bit of a look at him in verse number 11 and verse number 12. 
The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that is Ophrah, not Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. I liken this to go down to a bar on a Saturday night at 1.30 in the morning, and someone's absolutely drunk, and you turn to him and say, Pastor, you're going to preach a great sermon tomorrow. I'm not referencing Pastor Frank. I'm not referencing any pastor. Make sure he's not here. But that's what it would have been like. Like, what do you mean you're going to preach a great sermon tomorrow? What, why are you calling him a pastor? He's, a, he's an alcoholic at a bar at the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. What do you mean he's this great pastor that's going to give her a great message for people to hear? Well, I'm not much of a farmer. I do grow a few cucumbers, cucumbers every summer. Um, but I know that when you're threshing wheat in a wine press, there's something wrong with you. You don't want to be down in the basement where the wine's at, unless you're Baptist. We don't, we don't touch wine. You don't want to be down in the wine press in the basement. You want to be outside on the top of a hill where the wind is blowing, and it separates the, the lighter chaff where the seed actually falls. And that's where you want to be. You don't want to be hiding from the enemies. You don't want to be out in the caves. You don't want to be away from other people. You want to be out where the wind can help with this. And we see this valiant warrior starts off as a scaredy cat. But he's not a, a valiant warrior at all. That brings me to the first point I have for you today. First of four, point number one. Focus on how God views you, not how you view yourself. Focus on how God views you. I want you to think to yourself, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Now turn to the person next to you and tell them the one thing they should change about themselves. <laughs> if you're married, you've been sitting on this for 25 years. It's time to let it be known. For me, it was my hair. Man, I look at some of you people in your 60s with your flowing hair, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, God. What did I do wrong? Why, why can't I have like a mullet? Like why can't I have these, these fun things, God? But I've given up on that. I'm in my 40s now. I'm okay with being middle-aged. That's fine. That's part of getting older. The thing I struggle with is why do my muscles hurt all the time? Like I'm not working out. I'm just walking to and from my car. I, I played a little soccer with my seventh, sixth grade son yesterday. Why, why does it feel like everything's locking up? We, we played for 20 minutes. This shouldn't be this bad. This is what I'm struggling with right now because I remember being 18. I remember I could fly. It was like I was floating on the air. And now I just wake up in the middle of the night and everything hurts. And I know it gets worse. We all want to change things about ourselves, but what we need to understand how God views us, God views me with a beautiful mullet. No, he doesn't view me with a beautiful mullet. He loves me. There's nothing I can do that can be separated from the love of God. I am loved. I am deeply loved. I am cared for. I've talked about this before. God wants me to be happy in my life. Doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. 
It means good things may happen, bad things may be happen, but he wants me to have that joy throughout my life, which I have when I'm connected with him. You've seen people that go through good things, bad things, and some people that go through bad things without Christ, you simply can't have that joy. But those of us who go through bad things with Christ, we're like, you know what? We're just passing through this earthly experience anyway. It's not a big deal. I'll be with Jesus one day. What's the worst the world can do to me is just take my life. Great, I get to spend an eternity in heaven with God himself. That's a pretty good day, amen? Amen. Not only do we view ourselves in a negative way from time to time, but I think other people can view us in a negative way from time to time. Let me, let me tell you one way you can view me negative, right? Right? Go blue. <laughs> Three people just got up and walked out the side door right there, right? right? We take little things and we can make them negative. I look at King David, a man after God's own heart. How great was he, right? And, and the prophet comes in and says, listen, uh, your, your, your son here is going to be one of the next kings, and let me see your sons. And, and, and David's dad goes through the seven of his sons and is like, hey, None of these are going to be the king. And the prophet's like, no, none of these are going to be king. Like, do you have any other sons? And David's dad's like, wow, yeah, I got that one little ruddy kid out watching sheep. Um, but he, he's not the next king. Look, look, at, look at these guys and how strong they are. And the prophet says, no, God, God told me it's, it's little David. David will be the next king. David will be the one who leads. And, and so what I find interesting is many times we have people in our lives that don't see the best in us either. And we may take their opinion. We may take our opinion rather than seeing ourselves how God sees us, which is deeply loved, cared for, adopted into the family of God. We always go back to like the point that Satan wants to remind you of your past. Remember what you did. Remember where you came from. You're not qualified. And Jesus always wants to remind us of our future. Look what I have for you. Look what I offer when you follow me. Look at this joy that you can have. Look at this eternity in heaven that you can experience if you just continue to follow me and obey. Verse number 14 and 15, we see that Gideon continues. Um, not, not the strongest person, but we, we see he's progressing in his relationship, progressing in his understanding. And verse number 14 and 15 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. How can I be the one that delivers Israel? You've, God, you've messed up again. You've called me. You don't know who you've called. Now, God knows exactly who he's called. And let me say, I don't mind Gideon's response to this, because I think I would have the same response to this. God, did you not see that I was in the basement? I'm in caves. I'm hiding from the enemy. What do you mean that I'm going to deliver the nation of Israel? Maybe you've got this mixed up with someone else, and they're supposed to, to lead someone else. Guys, I think being weak is, 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 is a stronghold that we can have. You know my weakness, my understanding? When my car breaks, I understand my weakness. I don't dare touch anything. One time in college, I tried to change my oil. Saved $10. I cross-threaded the plug on the oil pan, and it cost me $250 to get a new one. I know my weakness. When something goes wrong with my car, I call Jake. Jake, I don't know what it is. I need you to check it out. 
No problem. Something breaks in my house. I don't dare touch anything. I know my weakness, and I'll find someone else who is strong in that area to help me along the way. It reminds me of verse 1 Corinthians 1.27. God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. You ever feel foolish? Well, if you are, that's exactly where you want to be because God can use that. Point number two this morning, if God calls, God equips. If God calls, God equips. If you're a believer in here today, you've been called to something. If you're a believer here today, you've been called to something. I don't know what that means. I don't know what your calling is, but you've been called to something. Guys, I can relate to Gideon from time to time. I remember when I first, uh, well, the second time, because the first time God called me into ministry, I said no. The second time, I said absolutely, and went off to college, married my wife my senior year, needed a job, so was working at a hotel, but I wanted to be in ministry, and people always tell me, if you're going into ministry, you're not supposed to graduate and then go into ministry. When you're called into ministry, you get involved in ministry. So I started working at a church. It was like having biology class for school, but having the lab part of it. You can just be book smart and learn about biology, but when you have the lab part to it, you're understanding what the book is saying. And so I was able to continue to learn and study at Liberty and understand what ministry is all about. But in a church setting Sunday and Wednesday, I was able to experience these types of things. And man, they don't teach you half of what you need to know in Bible school. They don't, they don't tell you how to deal with, with people who disagree with you. They, they don't tell you how to deal with some, some interesting things that the church world gets to experience. But what I got to experience was three months into this uh, internship or three months into this job, the senior pastor, and it's a church of about 100, comes down with dementia and has to stop preaching. And the deacons of the church said to me, said, listen, you're the only paid person on staff. You're going to be preaching every week. And I said, hold on, maybe not. And I said, all right, we'll give you every third Sunday you're going to be preaching. I understood that this, you think I have some bad sermons now. You should have experienced these sermons <laughs> I know that it's a blessing every time the Word of God is open and the Holy Spirit can do great things, but the Holy Spirit was pulling some overtime hours on some of these sermons. You guys may have, I mean, some of these sermons were 15 minutes long, so maybe, maybe you would have enjoyed them a little bit better than today, but it was a preaching lab for me. God says, I've called you, and up until this point, you've preached two sermons. You, you need to learn how to preach a little bit better. I remember misquoting John 3, 16. I remember a 12-year-old boy come up to me after and say, yeah, yeah, that's not John 3, 16. <laughs> but if God calls, he equips. And what I know about God's equip, equip, that when he equips, he doesn't equip you and then call you. He throws you out there. Remember the drive-in service? Yeah, you know how that happened? Frank announced it on a Sunday and then after Sunday service, he said, all right, guys, you need to figure out how to do this. <laughs> right? He didn't equip us and tell us how to do it. He just said, we're doing it, and I'll go figure it out. And it was, it was such a blessing for this church. All right, 16, 17, here we go. Verse number 16, but I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man, as if it were one man. That's how easy this is going to be. Then he said to him, I have... If I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. 
This is early on. Gideon says, listen, I, I feel like you're here with me, but I need a sign. I need you to show me that you're really with me. Um, Gideon's scared. It says verse 20, 21. Like I said, we're going to skip over a lot of the stuff that maybe you learned in, in Sunday school. But he says, all right, Gideon, put this meat on a rock and I'll send fire up and consume this meat. And that's ex- exactly what it did. Guys, I do not believe in putting God to the test like Gideon did. I, I don't believe we should put God to the test. But for some reason at this time, Gideon was allowed to go through about five different tests. First of all, if I see an angel... And I know it's from God, like, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. That's an angel. Angels don't visit people. A couple times they have in Scripture, but not very often. If I see an angel, boom, I'm in. If I see meat being consumed on a rock because the rock caught on fire, because God said it would, you've got my attention right then and there. But I think there's times in our lives where God gives us a little encouragement because he knows we need it. He gives it to us in interesting ways. I was reminded this past week through an email, one of our life group leaders by the name of Courtney um, has been leading a group here for a couple of years, but, but life has kind of got busy for him and work has got busy for him and he wasn't sure if, if he should be leading this group again because it was so busy and it just didn't make sense to add one more thing on his plate. But he really felt like, hey God, if you'll give us one new couple, it'll be worth it. If you give us one new couple, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll know that you're in this. And so we did our signups for, for group and um, got to the end of signups and no one signed up for his group. And I thought, God, are you really in this? We, we didn't ask for seven new couples. We just asked for one new couple. And God, if I can't get one new couple, then maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And so while they were praying about it, thinking about it, him and his wife uh, have a telescope at home. So one night around 1030 at night, they get the telescope out, and they start looking at the stars. It says they weren't out that, there very long until a couple about their age came walking by, asked them what they were doing, asked them if they could see through the telescope, and sure enough, they did. And, and Courtney turned to this couple and says, hey, I don't know if you're religious people or not, but if you ever want to go to church, we, we have this church that we go to called Genoa Church. And the couple looks at them and says, we know Genoa Church. We've been going there for several months, and we're going to make that our church home. We just haven't found a life group yet. And Courtney turned to him and said, well, we'd love to have you in ours. And they started going. And I thought to myself two things. One, only God. Like only God makes that happen. Like only God can can tell you no at one point only to work something so great out in the second. Imagine if they had someone sign up for on on sign up night. Okay, we got our one person. But God allowed them to go through this time where they got to experience like uh, someone from their neighborhood walking by. And then two, I don't know if I'd trust someone going for walks at 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) You've got the whole day to go for a walk. What are you doing that you need to be under the shelter of darkness to go for a walk? All right, here we go. If God calls, God equips. Point number three. Christians don't mature overnight. Christians don't mature overnight. Your salvation is instantaneous. That is, you come and you pray and you ask Christ into your life. You say, I'm sorry for these things that I've done wrong. I understand the need for a Savior, and I want that in my life. Your salvation is instantaneous. You are on your way to heaven if you die that next second. Amen? Amen. But the discipleship is a process. And it's a process where you never arrive. 
It's a process where we get closer to the image of God than we were the year before. But because of our sinful state, it's a place we'll we'll never be. We'll never fully arrive to where we need to be. But we see the process. We see Gideon going through the process. We see him being scared. We see him finally going to like, okay, God, I'll be this person you want me to be if you give me this sign. And he gives him a sign. And then Gideon is given his first task, as we see here in verse 25. It says, On that very night the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and a second bull seven years old and tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. He says, Don't even cut down the false idols in your community, but go to cut down the false idols in your community that your dad has set up. And you know what Gideon does? He goes at night while no one's looking, and he does exactly what he was supposed to do. And man, I think, how great is that to experience that, to see that? Yes, he's still fearful, but he's growing in his maturity. He's growing in his faithfulness. He's growing in his obedience to God. And we see this progression of Gideon, and we think the community is going to be so excited about it until we see verse 30. Verse 30 says, the men of the city said to Joash, this is Gideon's dad, bring out your son. He must die because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. It just reminds me that just because you're excited about serving the Lord doesn't mean everybody in your life will be excited that you're serving the Lord. In fact, many people will say, I don't want to be around you anymore. Many people will say, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And part of good Christian maturity is to keep on going. Keep on doing. Keep on doing these things. And, and we see the next verse here in verse 34. I don't think I put this in the notes, but it is the best one. Like if you underline in your Bible, if you highlight in your Bible, verse number 34, the Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord was put on Gideon, surrounded Gideon, was all around him. We didn't see that in the first calling, right? We didn't see that when it said, O valiant warrior, where the Spirit of God enveloped all around him, was put on him, was surrounded, right? That that didn't happen. It took a couple steps of obedience before that happened. You see, God kind of meets him part of the way. He hasn't given him the plan, hasn't shown him how he's going to defeat this army of 135,000 people yet. But he says, listen, just follow me with some baby steps. Just follow me with some of these small steps and I will take care of you. And what I want to say to you here today, maybe you're here today and you're not a normal churchgoer, but you've decided to come here today or you've decided to listen online, that's great. That's awesome. I love these baby steps. Maybe you've signed up in our ministry fair and today's the first day that you're going to serve in kids ministry for second service. That's great. Keep moving. Maybe today is the first day you're going to put $20 in the offering plate because you want to trust that God can take care of you even though you're $20 down. That's great. That's awesome. But what I want to tell you is God doesn't want this little part of your life. God wants the whole part of your life. And I believe as we're faithful to him, we take these steps. He rewards. He opens up areas for us. He continues to use us in certain areas if we stay faithful to him. Even though God has spoken to Gideon through an angel, we've seen meat consumed. We, we've, we've seen, well, I don't even think I said verse number, um, 
verse number 35, which I don't have in there. Gideon, after that, verse 35 through 38, says, hey, these people that want to kill him. Uh, Gideon's like, hey, I know you want to kill me, but what do you think about following me into battle? And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let me follow you into battle. And so they quickly go from let's kill him to let's follow him into battle. Once again, only God. Gideon's still scared, but he's taking progressions. And he goes in, well, we're not reading these, but verse number um, 38 says, God, I've got this like piece of cloth here, this wool fleece. What if I put it out tomorrow and it's wet, but everything around it is all dry? Then I'll know you're with me. God says, okay, whatever. And that happens. And the next day he's like, you know what? Maybe that was a fluke. What if, what if we do this one more time? And, and this time it's a dry fleece with wet all around it, all the dew. And God's like, uh, okay, and we'll do this. And it did it and it happened again. And then it gets to the part of the, uh, the battle. And Gideon has 32,000 of these people. Many who wanted to kill him are now following him. But he's got to fight an army of 135,000. A little bit outnumbered. And if you know the story, you know that the God says, Gideon, turn to your crowd of 32,000 men and say, whoever wants to go home, go home. If you're scared, go home. And Gideon, I think, has gone through the process. And see, God works so many times thus far that I think Gideon's willing to go into battle by himself because he knows with God he's the majority. And that's what I love about the faithfulness of Christianity, the faithfulness of coming to church, the faithfulness of being involved in groups, and faithfulness in being involved in ministries. You've seen God work time and time again. So things may not make sense in your life, but you've seen God work time and time again that you know he's going to work again. Amen? That was kind of weak, but for those of us who have experienced that we're thankful for it. 22,000 men go home. Now he's down to 10,000 men versus 135,000. And God says to him, great, but you've got way too many. Gideon says, okay, what's next? And he says, take them down to this body of water. Whoever puts their face in the water, send them home. Whoever takes their, their hands and scoops up the water and keeps it to them, maybe so they can see what's going on still while they're drinking their water, keep them. And all but 300 put their face in the water. Gideon's now left with an army of 300 versus 135,000. Not very good odds. These are faith checks. Gideon, Gideon's just, I mean, God knows where Gideon's at, but these are just faith checks to see, Gideon, you still with me? You, you still believe in me? You still got trust in me? You still got faith in me that I'm going to take care of you? You got faith that even though you're down 100,000 men, like you can do this? Yeah, yeah, I believe it, God. You got faith that even though you're down to 300 men, that you can still go into battle? And Gideon's probably like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to die, but I'm still going. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm in. Guys, we see these faith checks all the time in our lives. All the time. You get this unexpected bill that you didn't know was coming right before Christmas. And you don't know how you're going to pay it. Do we flip out? Or do we say, God, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I trust you're going to work it out. Maybe it's going to take some pain and some effort of sacrifice over a few months to pay this, but I, I believe it's going to work out. Maybe you get a call back from your doctor, hey, we'd like you to come in for a, a second visit just to check something out. Are we going to flip out or are we just going to have that faith test that, hey, what's the worst this world can do to me? Faith test all the time. Not to prove to God if we're faithful to him, 
but we can see for ourselves, are we really going to be faithful to him even when it's difficult? Are we really going to be faithful to him even when it's a difficult time in our life? All right, here we go. The game plan, verse 19 through 22. Verse 19. It says, Gideon and a hundred men who were with him went to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch after the sentries had been stationed. They blew their ram's horn and broke their pitchers that were in their hand. The three companies blew their ram's horn and shattered their pitchers. They held their torches in their left hand and their ram's horn to blow in their right hand. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each Israelite took his position around the camp and the entire Midian army began to run and they cried out as they fled. When Gideon blew the, the, their 300 ram's horns, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. The game plan. We don't have bombs. We don't have missiles. You have a torch. You have a pitcher to cover it. And you have a ram's horn. And it says, when you have that, plus God in the mix, you're unstoppable. And it says, because it was the middle of the night, they heard all these different ram's horns being blown. They saw all these different pitchers being, or all these different torches being shown. They thought to themselves, if there's that many trumpet blowers, there's got to be a lot of people fighting as well with them. And it says it caused confusion that they started striking each other down, that they started, that they started fighting against themselves, that God turned these Midianites against themselves. And you can imagine the middle of the night, right? Someone with a sword coming after you, you're not going to be like, oh, what, what, what colors are they wearing? Are, what, are they? Oh, no, you're just going to start fighting. And then you see your buddy getting beat up with a sword. Well, you're going to come after him, and it was just one big mess. Point number four that I have today, walk through the doors God opens. Walk through the doors that God opens. God prepared Gideon. God took him on this faith journey. And God brought him right up to this last point. Well, what if Gideon was like, you know, this doesn't quite make sense for me. I'm not quite in all the way. I'm going to back out of this. Gideon would have missed one of the greatest opportunities of his life, the greatest opportunity of his life here on earth to experience God come in with 135,000 men against him. He got to experience God do something, I don't want to say magical, but incredible. And I think too many times we don't walk through the doors that God opens because of fear. This is one of the guardrails that I have for my life. Guardrails is not scriptural, it's not foundation, but a guardrail keeps you on the foundation. My foundation is scripture, it's the word of God, but this is one of the things that keeps me on that foundation. And it is to say, Scott, I don't care if you ever don't feel good enough. That's not a question you ever ask. The question you ask is God calling you to this. If he's calling you to this, then you get up and you do it. Whether you feel qualified, you don't feel qualified. Sometimes we feel overqualified. Sometimes we feel like we can do whatever we want. But we got to ask the question, is God in this? Because sometimes if God's not in it, we feel good about it. We bite off more than we can chew. and We find ourselves in a worse situation than we originally were. I'm confident that, that God is not calling anybody in this room to lead a battle with 300 men, with torches, with pitchers and ram's horn. I'm confident. Don't, you're not being called into battle like that. But I'm confident that God calls us all to something. And what you're being called in may not be the difference of 135,000 people, but it may be the difference of one person. 
It may be that you're called to minister to one person, whether it's a family member, a friend, or a coworker, or a spouse, or a kid. I believe God, God's calling us all to do something, and whether we feel qualified about it or not, we need to go. The question is not, do I feel good enough? Do I know enough about the Bible? Do I think I can do this? Yes, I can do this. The question is, is God calling me to it? If God calls, you go. If God opens the door, you walk through the door God opens. And I believe this happens through the one key word we're going to end with today. It's not in your notes. It's not one of the lines, but obedience. If you're taking notes, just write down obedience. This is what can keep us from experiencing what God has in our life. Obedience. God called, God equipped. Gideon had to have the obedience with him. And I think the longer we're a Christian, the easier obedience can come for some parts of our life. I have no desire to party. I have no desire to stay out past 11 p.m. at night. I just, I just want to go to bed, right? I don't want to worry about the next day of what happened the day before. Like, I don't struggle with that. There's going to be temptations we all fight for the rest of our life because there is an enemy that will try to trip us up, that will try to keep us from obedience. I think when we think about obedience, Micah 6.8 really sums it up. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our Lord. We walk humbly with our Lord on a daily basis. That's getting up and setting up a priority time with God. Whether that is through prayer, through Bible study, through reading, through devotion. Like, God, I'm going to put you first in my life. You're getting these moments of my life. And I believe obedience happens when we understand who God is. We understand we have a mission. We understand we have a journey that we're on. And our journey should be surrounded with obedience. How do we become more obedient? It's not out of obligation. Here's the 10 reasons you should be obedient or you will experience the wrath of God. No, no. I think we're more obedient when we understand the love more deeply of God. And I think we understand the love of God more deeply through giving him praise.